and you are with Minnie and Renee. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, how are you feeling, Renee? We just talked about this off air, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I said I am feeling good this morning. Yeah, you're, you almost said it with a little bit of a surprise. Like, well, <laughs> yes, I was like, I'm yeah. In fact, okay. Look at me. I'm a morning person now. I'm different. I've changed. Yeah. Hey. Well, I mean, we all do. Like, <laughs> um. Are yeah, good morning, morning to our listeners. Hey, I'm just saying good morning to our oh, listeners. Oh yes, I'm good morning. Thank you for joining morning. us. We're glad that you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you're doing, whether you're getting ready for work or just I don't know, just lying in your bed having a listen, that's always nice too. Or <laughs> driving or to work, driving or whatever you're up mm. to. We're glad that you joined us. Um, and if you're listening to Delayed Broadcast, well, welcome too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, are you thankful for anything particular today? Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm glad you asked. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) I'm very grateful um, for nature and all the beautiful things. Okay, let me tell you. Yesterday, I (laughs) I was sitting on my bed and I was just prepping for the stories today and just replying to emails and then Mm. I messaged my friend I'm like what are you doing and she said I'm going for a walk nice and she said you want to come and I was like absolutely and Mm -hmm. so we went for a fun walk and we passed like so many people we just greeted them on the way we grounded ourselves well they grounded they they took off their shoes and walked on the grass right I was like what do you mean yeah Yeah, apparently that's called grounding so good for you call it not wearing shoes like I normally <laughs> sorry sorry continue though no that's pretty much my story that's so, a great story yeah I'm grateful yeah. for nature you know every time I come to the radio so I probably have to leave oh look when I'm not pushing it it's nice to leave around 10 past or quarter past uh, 6 and every time there's heaps of people walking in the morning it's, I just have full good. respect it's healthy you know fresh air just you feel good oh absolutely no yeah. it's fantastic and um, I mean even when it's a cold day you know you just rug up a bit so go them you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different give us some good news some positively different stories renee will do so um there is a man um a pastor actually his name is robbie pruitt now he is the pastor in a church in virginia in america and um something happened to him last year basically Somebody stole his bike last year. His mountain bike was swiped last September and his normal reaction was to feel mad. Uh, but soon enough, his emotions took a turn and thankfully a turn for the better. So after letting go of his anger and his frustration, he, um, Robbie Pruitt found himself at a, from, to a road of compassion instead. He is an avid bike rider and his first priority after someone stole his bike was to replace his bike. Um, but when he went bike shopping, he found that there wasn't many bikes that he liked or, you know, it just didn't suit his needs and, and, and this the scarcity of the inventory got him thinking you know what if the lack of bikes in this pandemic was related to the person who stole my bike i don't know he was taking more of a stance of um of grace and mercy in that Mm. in that sense i guess and what if what if the person who took his bike needed transportation instead and I think it's it's more of a healthier route to think, I guess. <laughs> mm. And so with that in mind, he, he allowed, from taking that thought process, he 
came up with a plan and he posted it on a local Facebook group. And he said, he, he said, Hey, I'm offering to fix bikes for free, free of charge for anyone who really needs it. Who any, and so he also put up a call for unwanted bikes. And he don't, if it, you want to donate any unwanted bikes, I can fix it. Um, he would repair it for free and then he would donate it to people who would really need it, who didn't have a budget to buy a bike. And so the day this post went live, he wound up with he wound up with an inventory of 30 used bicycles and the initial influx was followed by more than 500 people contacting Whoa. him asking questions about whether they can donate or they needed a bike a bike fixed. And by the end of 2020, last year, he had refurbished refurbished more than 140 donated bikes um so that was that was pretty cool. He his the thing about Robbie, he doesn't vet the requests. He just tries to get, you know, he tr- he just fixes the bikes, gets it gets it to the people who really need it most. Mm. Um he's taken this a, f- a step further in that he's been uh, in getting his community community involved in this, um getting the kids involved on his street as well as the kids in his church involved in helping fix the bikes as well, teaching them uh, how to fix a bike and I guess all, all the mechanics in that. Um, someone says that all the neighborhood kids are spending much more time doing something that's hands-on. Mm. Uh, Robbie Pruitt's next door neighbor says that almost everyone in the neighbor has a bi- neighborhood has a bike now and he's helped put those bikes together. So in addition to those skills, like I said, these lessons that he's teaching the kids and um, he's teaching them resilience, teamwork, he encourages self Steam fosters feeling of community uh, and, you know, and fostering friendships in the process as Mm -hmm. well. And he says that, you you know, he's providing a service to help uh, to fix bikes, but it's not just the bikes. It's not about the bikes. It's actually for him about the relationships in the community and the impact that he's making on the community. So for a man who first was very angry because his mountain bike was swiped by somebody, he's turned this into a very positive thing um, that has allowed him to help the community and also invest in the next uh, generation. Um, so That's actually really cool, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the fact that you just, you just mentioned that that's the in, right? Like yeah. you can use anything to connect with people, but this is something that's like, well, it's kind of the thing that I have in my direct yeah. line of, I don't know, skill or yeah. interest or the fact that it's brought to my knowledge because yeah. I've just had my bike stolen. Mm. And then you use that to be the, the agent of... Agent of change. Yeah, agent of change. <laughs> that's, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, I love that he's getting all the kids involved and getting to know them because... I think you get to know your community in a really different way when you have something that you're doing together. Together. And when you're also going, hey, I actually want to serve you in some way. Mm. But yeah, go mm. him. Yeah. Go Pastor Robbie. Robbie. Whoever you are. In, <laughs> in Virginia, America. In more news, um, there are garment workers who in Bangladesh who are now being educated so they can go to college. Yay. So one of the first lessons for those people who sew garments for mass markets, they learn to follow a pattern and it's tedious work. It's a repetitive process with little margin of error and less for change. Mm. And so for the the lives of the countless women who toil and at this work, follow a pattern um, they many daughters in Bangladesh dream of pursuing studies that would lead to alternative careers with, without, however, without the wages that they contribute, their families can't afford 
to, to get by. And so they need to work in these factories, these garment factories to provide for their family. And the problem is that these garment factories aren't always safe. They don't pay as well mm. uh, compared to, to, to other jobs. And it's, uh, it, it, it puts them in a place where I guess they can, they feel trapped, right. And they're not given the opportunity, um, the equal opportunity to to thrive and to choose a different pathway if they so choose. It's estimated that 60 to 80% of the garment workers who create goods for outlets such as Walmart, H&M, Next, Gap, Marks and Spencers, Spencer and Target are women. Um, and so while their male counterparts are traditionally being groomed for management positions, the educational divide meant girls were destined to toil at factory jobs for low wages in unsafe conditions because they had no other option. However, a program launched by the Asian University of Women, that's AUW, Pathway for Promise, uh, seeks to change that trajectory by identifying women who show academic talent and offering the, them both an education and a, a stipend that lessens the burden of financial obligations that leaves them free to study um, so they can still help their family but also study and get to a place where they want just because this opportunity was given to them by this um, this program that's been launched um, so while the program was met with initial skepticism uh, women who have gone through the program have actually achieved success and so this program is becoming more accepted and mm. they, they the the women of the, the first class of 2020 has just graduated mid mid-year last year um, but they are now given this opportunity that uh, that helps them, improve in their place in society as well as have a bigger impact and use their gifts and their talents in a place where they feel that they are making a difference yeah and so i love what's happening in bangladesh and with this program it's uh it's awesome to hear what's going on there you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different well, look, I better tell you about this uh, COVID vaccination situation. So as you guys may or may not know, um, I feel like if you listen to The Brecky Show and if you just listen, <laughs> listen to, to any news, <laughs> go on social media, anything at all, you will know that um, COVID has been a stitch up for pretty much everyone around the world. And many, many different countries have been bringing out vaccinations and... Um, yeah, some people are more for it. Some people have been a bit quicker bringing out emergency vaccines. But... Yeah, I just found it quite interesting. So the World Health Organization has just warned that the world faces a catastrophic moral failure because of unequal COVID vaccine policies. Hmm. So basically, as they're talking, uh, I'm going to not get this name correct, but Tedros Ad Adhaman Ghebreyesus. Oh, that's wrong. I'm so sorry. Wow. <laughs> anyway, so he basically has said that it is not – fair for younger, healthy people in richer nations to get injections before vulnerable people in poorer states. Mm -hmm. um, he said over 39 million vaccine doses have been given in 49 richer states, but only one poor nation oh, – sorry, but one poor nation only had 25 doses. Wow. And that is a pretty big difference, yes. 39 million to 25. Yeah, yeah. Just standard. Um, and so both – both the World Health Organization and China were criticized for their COVID response. So if people have been following, yeah, that was a big hoo-ha that people were talking about earlier as well. 
But an independent panel commissioned by the WHO, I'm going to call them, said that the UN public health body should have declared an intentional emergency, uh, sorry, an international emergency earlier, and also, um, yeah, given China a bit of a, I don't know, talking to <laughs> for not taking public health message, uh, mes- mes- measures sooner. There we go. <laughs> uh, so far, China, India, Russia, the UK, and the US have all developed COVID vaccinations. Um, with others being made by multinational teams like the American-German Pfizer um, vaccine. Uh, this is kind of an interesting an interesting thing about it being such a global spread mm-hmm. uh, because, as I was saying, Dr. Chesterfield, he said that a me-first approach would be self-defeating because it would push, the pr- push up prices and encourage hoarding. Yeah. And ultimately, these actions will only prolong the pandemic. The restrictions needed to contain it and human and economic suffering. I don't really know what you do in this situation, to be honest, though. This is just my, this is my own little personal thought now. <laughs> yeah. Because it is something that, you know, as far as I know, nearly every country has been hit with. There have been a few countries that have had such strict lockdown. Apparently, is it Samoa hasn't had any cases because mm. they went really strict. There's, yeah, there's been a few places that have yeah. gone very, very, uh-uh, get out of here. Not, <laughs> not today. No. Like, but for the most part, a lot of the world has been impacted. And so I can really understand that we want to go, okay, let's, if we're going to have something, let's develop it. Duh, duh, duh. At the same time, often it is the poorer people, places, countries, whatever, who get really left behind um, when there's great need. Mm. And my question, I guess I have is as humans, or particularly for me, like as a Christian, what is my responsibility in looking after someone else? Mm. You know, because I don't know. I just heard this really interesting quote recently that they said the opposite of poverty isn't wealth, it's injustice. But often they go together, right? Wow. Like the wealthier has the opportunity to not have to make sure the other people are receiving the right treatment. Yeah. We often see this and I go, yeah, it's, it's just a personal question for me. I'm like, okay, so when, what is my personal responsibility? I'm obviously not in the government. I'm not creating, you know, vaccinations or anything. I don't really have the ability to, but, mm. you know, should it be something that we're considering a bit more? Mm. How far do you go down? Anyway, that's a rabbit hole I could get into. But, uh, yeah, so um, more than 180 countries have signed up to this COVAX initiative, which is basically – a, a challenge that they've put out, it's a full commitment to the global vaccine sharing scheme um, because they're just saying, hey, we need to start rolling this out for everyone. Um, and as I said, 180 countries, which is a pretty significant amount, um, and it's supported by the World Health Organization and a group of international vaccine advocacy groups. And 92 countries, all of them low or middle income, will have their vaccines paid for by a fund sponsored by donors. Um, they've secured 2 billion doses from five producers with options of more than 1 billion more doses, and we aim to start deliveries in February. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. Mm. Um, this is a different story, changing directions now. Uh, so Saudi Arabia, I know it's not something that we probably hear a lot about, but they have had a drastic reduction in executions in 2020. Okay. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know actually that many executions still happened. Apparently, I'm just very ignorant. Mm. Um, but they have dropped 85% um, from the previous year. So last year, there was 27 executions, which is still it's still a lot. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's down from, what, 50 or something? Yeah. <laughs> Look, not yeah. great with statistics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and so part of it, 
has a tribute to um, an unannounced moratorium um, for drug-related offensives, which is to give more non-violent criminals a second chance and also so that minors um, don't necessarily have to be on, I guess, that death row. Wow. Because that's pretty hectic. Um, There's been a couple of, yeah, I guess younger teenagers who were facing um, executions for crimes. Really? Um, Yeah. But so that's that's a really interesting avenue uh, that we really don't have to be aware of in Australia. Yeah. Um, But for me, I I actually think it's really important that we are aware of what's going on for other people in other places. Yeah. for so many reasons, you know, like here on on Faith FM, we stay connected monthly with an update from the Voice of the Martyrs, and that's mm-hmm. about Christians who are facing persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think until we know, we don't know. Yeah, and this isn't necessarily a religious issue, although some people could say it is. You know, depending on who you talk to, um, and depending who the person is who who is getting these sentences. But I just think. Uh, perspective is really important mm. in knowing what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, so a couple of these guys, you know, they were aged between 15 and 17 and they were arrested in connection just to anti-government protests in, in the country and that's that's still a pretty hectic thing to be facing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 15 years old, you're pretty bold. Yeah. I don't know if you remember being 15, um, Renee, or our listeners, but mm. I had a, so much more self-confidence in just saying and doing things, which weren't always the wisest thing. <laughs> but I think that's also why young people have the ability to change, make change in the world that yeah. older people maybe don't yeah. because they've got the, yeah, let's just go do it. Yeah. Everything's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Even when all the adults around them are like, it isn't. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> We've yeah. been there. Yeah, but there's something beautiful to that. But, uh, but yeah, so that's just an interesting uh, point to note. And we will, um, yeah, to see what happens. And, yeah, guys, just let's just pray for each other in other nations. Yeah. Like, we don't know what's going on. We can't necessarily change politics, but exactly. we have a God who is incredibly great and powerful and knows our needs, just all humanity. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, it is now time for our interview of the day, though. Um, David Haupt is with us. Welcome back, David. Good morning, and good morning to your listeners. Good to be back. Yeah, so, David, you're normally with us once a week. You had a little bit of a break at the end of last year, um, but getting back to it. So, this morning, we're going to talk a bit about, as you mentioned to me just a bit before, about conflict in conflict resolution. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about this. So, this morning, maybe, yeah, just just break down for us and our listeners just a bit about what conflict is. How does it arise? I'm sure everyone who's listening has had conflict in their life at some point. Um, but, yeah, maybe you could just share from your experience and expertise a little bit about that. Many, it is, it is a, a topic that we often skirt around because it's so painful, because thousands of people, including Christians, leave their jobs, leave their neighborhoods, they leave their friends, they leave their families behind due to unresolved conflict. Mm. Um, in other words, it leaves many people's lives shattered uh, behind. Uh, parents are estranged uh, from their children. Extended families break up. They they dread Christmas. They dread family gathering times. They dread times when a child is getting uh, you know getting married because that forces people that have unresolved conflict to come together. And I would like to take uh, a step further and say that it actually decimates the witness potential of Christians. Hmm. Unresolved. Uh, 
you know, conflict. The, the question, though, is how does it start? Where does it start? Um, and I'd like to break it down into three categories, uh, namely the spark. We've just spoken about the fire when it's fully ablaze, you know, the, the impact of it. But where does it start? Very interesting that it often starts very innocently. So triggers for our conflict often start due to the, the diversity that each one of us has. Uh, and it's interesting that God, who is the creator of humanity, actually created us each different. Mm. I'm so glad that my wife looks much different than me. <laughs> but that difference in the way that we do things can often lead to conflict later in marriage. So the difference that that draws two people to each other so often turns to become that abrasive thing that, that drives them apart. So firstly, God made us diversely different from each other. Um, then secondly comes misunderstandings. It's interesting that a female stands in front of a wardrobe. She looks into a wardrobe and she says, I've got nothing to wear. Now, Minnie, what does that mean? <laughs> There's nothing I see that I want to wear right now. <laughs> I need so, a different option. <laughs> so her wardrobe can be filled with clothing, yeah. but there's nothing for, you know, what she would like. Uh, a male stands in front of his wardrobe and he says, I've got nothing to wear. What does that mean? I haven't done the washing. <laughs> ah, you, you're pretty wise. Um, exactly. We're using exactly the same words, but guess what? We mean completely different things. Yeah. So. Often there's misunderstanding. So there's diversity, there's misunderstanding, and then comes in our selfish attitudes mm. that leads to hurtful words and hurtful actions. This comes often in the form of anger, jealousy, and in psychology we use the word triangulation. The Bible refers to it just plain English language. It says gossip, mm. right? And, and those things which could have created opportunities to uh, connect often becomes opportunities for conflict. Now, it's very interesting that when we look at what from that diversity leads to the fuel for the, the, uh, the conflict to start, um, I'd like to read a text here out of the message translation because it puts it so well in James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourself. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. Wow. You, you want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. Powerful the way that the message translation really puts over, you know, the fuel that actually sparks then that fire that, that starts to burn in relationships, in churches, in communities, and all around us, in families. Yeah. That's that's a really important thing, I think, to think about, though, hey, because I don't think that it's our go-to to think of conflict having to do with that. Like, it's not the yeah. first thing. When I'm, when I'm in conflict with someone, the first thing that comes to mind isn't, hey, are you being selfish? Are you just... 
you know, like where is this coming from? It's just like, oh, why don't you get it? Like Exactly. And and many this this leads to our discussion, hopefully later on, if we can run a program on conflict resolution, mm-hmm. namely that the Bible actually advises us in dealing with conflict that we first look at uh you know at what's in our own eye. In other words, in our own heart, uh, what is it that actually can lead to a distortion in our relationship or in what the other one is saying? I often deal with, um, you know, people that both people have a well meaning to uh, not to hurt the other. I, for instance, have no intent to hurt and injure my wife. She's not just my wife, she's my best friend. But so often I do hurt her. And I've come to the realization that um, what she says or what she does or what she neglects to do and the way that I react to that often has nothing to do with what she's just done. Hmm. It often has to do with what is in my own heart and the interpretation that I give to what she has done or lacked to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, though. Um, and mm, I think, as you mentioned kind of at the start of this, this I think is a really important, uh, no, not a series, but we'll call it a series that we're going to explore because it does impact us so deeply um, yeah. As you said, in kind of even our closest relationships to our, you know, the strange you meet on the street, and it has really lasting impacts. And we know that, you know, our relationships are a huge part of our life. Yeah. So I yeah. think. Oh yeah, you sorry you go. I sorry, I'm I'm interrupting. No, you. no, go for your I, life. <laughs> I often hear from grandparents unable to talk to their grandkids because their children or their. Uh, daughter, son-in-law has their nose out of joint and just refuse to allow those children to have access to, you know, to their grandparents. It, it's heartbreaking. I'm a grandfather myself and it would break my heart. Uh, I, I see families breaking up, marriages breaking up because somewhere in that relationship, one person has decided that they're just going to walk away. Um, I've just recently dealing with a conflict in a workplace where the one is just misreading what the other one is trying to do and the heartache of, of that whole workplace being divided and split up into two separate camps. And mm-hmm. it just said. David, how much do you think, I, I imagine you have worked with so many people who, yeah, I guess that have had issues in or around um, conflict or lack of conflict resolution skills. Do you think uh, a big part of that comes from not having seen it done well? Like, why is it that for so many of us, it is such a big problem? Our modelling um, primarily comes from the way that our parents uh, deal with things. Mm. And the uh, interesting story is of a young man that uh, got married. He observed how his parents dealt with things in the first conflict that he had with his new bride. He audited that both of them had to go into the bedroom. And they both marched into the bedroom, closed the door. And suddenly he didn't know what to do after that because his parents never took him beyond that door. He would witness his parents, uh, you know, saying he, the, 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 the relationship would heat up and one of them would say, let's go to the room. And they would march into the room 
and then close the door and half an hour, hour later, they'll come out, you know, all resolved. But he was never taken beyond that door to show how they resolved the issues. Mm. So the modeling that we have is so often um, from people that themselves are battling, that still themselves are battling to deal with it. And uh, I believe that we need to actually run more programs to help people to deal with uh, conflict resolution. Hey, David, um, this is Renee. I'm just loving everything that you're sharing. Um, I do have a question, though. Um, sure. You know, meeting, the, I guess in life you meet so many people uh, are going through conflicts. And the one thing I hear when they talk about conflicts is, you know, the reason why they walk away is that it's so much more easier to walk away. There is mm. less pain in that. What would you say? Is that is that true? Um, and what would you say to that person who's who's on that step, who wants to walk away instead of, um, I guess, fighting for that relationship? We, Renee, we, it, it's a very important question that you ask. We live today in a world culture that fuels the fire of conflict. Mm. We, we soak in the culture of the world around us. Uh, and I'm going to give you a clue. I, I'm talking to you on an iPhone. In my room, I've got an iPad. Mm, okay. well, 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 where am I going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to the eye-centeredness. Mm. And, and we so regularly want to fight or to protect self. Mm. And our, our culture of our society are saying, you deserve it. Stick up for yourself. Have it your own way. You are worth it. Look out for number one. Hmm. It's interesting that the Bible actually speaks exactly the opposite language. (laughs) Where the Bible actually says, look out for the other. And modern psychology confirms that because modern psychology actually tells us, research tells us that when we forget about ourselves and we actually reach out to others to serve others with nothing in it for us, we actually receive a far greater mental health Mm. payoff as well as a physical health payoff. Mm. And if in marriages and in relationships, we would take on exactly that focus, what, what would happen? You know, um, here's a point that I wanted to end off with, and I'm not sure how much time we still have, but conflict is in actual fact a great opportunity for doing good. Wow. Ooh. Wow. In That's other words, look at it. Conflict actually creates an opportunity to look for the interest of the other. Now, let's unpack that for a second. When there's a conflict in a relationship, it means that there is some need in someone that is not being met yet. Hmm. So instead of becoming reactive to my spouse, if I would rather take a step back, forget about myself and ask myself this question, what is the hurt, what is the pain, what is the need that my spouse has that has led to this reaction in her? Yeah, wow, that's an amazing um that's an amazing point to kind of end on. Back. Yeah, I just love to, that. Yeah. Ooh, that I've uh, never thought about it like that at all. We have uh, a, uh, I was going to say we have about 30 seconds left, but if you have anything else you want to share, David, go for your life. 
I've got so much still to share. Yeah, we're looking so forward to it. <laughs> I, I would like to challenge your your listeners, and, and maybe we can continue next week, challenge your listeners to look with new eyes at conflict. When someone else actually becomes reactive to you, often it has to do with something that is happening in their own life. They're not attacking you. They are, in actual fact, in pain. Mm. What an awesome How challenge. How can I respond to that? Absolutely. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.